Evening, everybody. That was great, wasn't it? Just to hear the stories of what Jesus has done in people's lives and, and be here as they were baptized. I want to give a, a special thank you to those of you who've played any part in then coming to tonight. And that could be through what you've shown them, what you've taught them, how you've prayed for them. I mean, thank you. It's really special. Um, it, it's so important that in our lives we give whatever we can to change other people's lives. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Um, so much of the Christian life is a contradiction, or at least it's a paradox, or it's counterintuitive. And um, these candidates tonight have said something that's really countercultural. Now, everybody sort of these days wants to say, I, you know, I'm the boss of me, nobody gets to tell me, I do what I want, I'm, you know, I run my life, I'm in control. And actually, all of them today have said, I submit to Christ as Lord. And there's this incredible Christian paradox that says, Perfect freedom is found in serving Jesus. Perfect freedom only comes when we lay our lives down. Jesus said if you want to gain your life, you have to lose it for his sake. And so many things in the Christian life are like that. Um, and we're actually going to be talking about another one tonight. But before we do, I just want to give you an illustration of what's counterintuitive. That's counterintuitive basically means that you would think that the logical conclusion of a particular fact is, well, it actually turns out to be 180 degrees of what you thought. And one of my favorite examples of this is um, from the Second World War, there was a Jewish statistician called um, Abraham Wald, and he was tasked with working out where they should put more armor on the bombers. And so when the bombers came back from their raids, he would um, go and visit them, and he would mark where they'd been hit. And his conclusion when he came back was that they should put more armor on the parts of the planes that hadn't been hit. In other words, you should put more armor on the bits of the planes that are undamaged. Now, it sounds completely crazy, doesn't it? But his reasoning is this. His reasoning was, the only data set I have to work with is the group of all planes that have made it back. And the fact that these ones have been damaged in those particular places means that where they were damaged obviously wasn't that important because they made it back. We don't know what would happen to planes that were damaged in the other places, but we do think quite a few of them didn't make it back, so that's where you need to put the armor. It makes sense, doesn't it? Um, and in the same sort of way, there's so many things about the Christian gospel that when you first hear them, you think, well, that doesn't make sense, you know, lose my life to save it. We're going to talk about another one tonight. If you really want to be free financially, you need to learn to give and be generous. And you would think that people who give financially are going to be people who therefore have less money and are therefore going to be more anxious about money. They're going to find it harder to make ends meet. And the, the truth is, it's actually the opposite. That those who as Christians have embraced the discipline of giving, who've learned to be uh, financially generous, that those people report higher than average satisfaction in the area of finances. It's partly the, the working of God's amazing grace that he is able to bless those who bless others. But it's also something to do with dethroning the God of mammon that we talked about last week. You know, just basically saying we will not allow money to rule over us. And so there's a, the only way that we can really embrace financial freedom is by learning to give and to be generous. And um, most of us probably are British, and 
we're actually told that we're amongst the most generous in the world. That actually as Brits, we are one of the most generous nations. Something like 65% of um, all Brits give to some cause or charity during the average year. Apparently, the average donation is £49 a month. That's a pretty significant donation, isn't it? It's a lot of money. And that puts us at number five in the world rankings of most generous people. It's really good. Yay, go us. It's not quite so good when you look at how, how we are in terms of being generous with our time, where we fall from fifth to 97th, but that's another talk another time. So we're obviously pretty good at putting our hands in our pockets, not always so good at writing something into the diary and making a commitment. But Christian giving is based on the principle of stewardship. And I want to introduce you to a phrase tonight that I hope will transform your understanding. So if you could put the slide up, please, Peter. We're going to talk tonight about we get to give. Not that we have to give, or we're compelled to give, or God demands that we give, but we're going to talk about how we get to give. And the first principle in this is the one that Mark spoke about last week. It's the principle of stewardship. Nothing we have is ours. It all belongs to God. And so if it all belongs to God and we're entrusted with our time and talents and skills, uh, with material resources, even with revelation, we've been entrusted with the gospel, then we're going to be accountable one day because it all belongs to him. We're going to be accountable for what we did with it. He's going to ask us, what did you do with all that I blessed you with? And as Mark was saying last week in the, from the parable of the unjust steward, Jesus' commentary on his own teaching is that we should learn how to use money to make friends, particularly that we should learn how to use money by making friends, which means changing lives for eternity. And if we can learn how to invest our money so that other people's lives are changed forever, then that will be a fantastic way of being stewards of the good things that God has entrusted us with. And that leads us on to the second principle, which is the one we're really going to focus on tonight, because the second principle is partnership. Partnership with God. We get to work with God. And it's what God has always desired for us from the beginning of creation. So in, in the beginning of creation, God made a beautiful world. He created it and populated it with, with all types of, of animals. And then he put us in there. And the difference between us and everything else in creation is that he breathed his life into us so that we would bear his image. We would reflect his glory. And he put us into the world in order to be his stewards, to reflect his glory, but also to exercise rule in his name. And it wasn't that God was abandoning us and he was then going to go away. So us exercising stewardship in God's name was always meant to be a partnership with God. He wanted his own particular, unique creation upon the earth to work with him, to rule and to subdue and to bring out the potential and the beautiful um, abilities of all that was there. And so I want you to bear those two principles in mind, stewardship partnership and we're going to look in the Bibles together at page um, 1163 in your Bibles this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8 um, we're going to read from verse 1 through to about verse 15 so page 1163 now brothers and sisters we want you to know about the grace 
that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's not an equation you hear very often. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty results in overflowing rich generosity. Paul writes this, So I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to God's people. There was a a famine in another part of the world at that time. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now, there's there's some amazing things hidden in this passage. So we probably would skin over it because we're not really familiar with the background. But just think of it this way. This is a church of Gentiles who feel compelled in their hearts to give money to people that they've never met and that they've historically always thought of as being other from them. They don't share the same language. They don't share the same culture. They actually may well have heard that that particular group of believers, the Jewish believers in Judea where the, family was, where the famine was, that they probably historically have looked down on them and considered them little better than dogs. And so despite the racial differences, the fact that they'll never see each other, they felt somehow that they were connected through Jesus and they wanted to bless these people in another part of the world who were going through hardship. Now, it's amazing really because you and I probably don't feel as divided from anybody as that. And yet we still sometimes feel within ourselves some echo of the image of God and and, You know, the power of the gospel at work in our culture for centuries makes us want to be generous towards people in need. And of course, we have the advantage because modern media brings those images 
you know, into our living room and you turn the television on and you see a famine, you see starving children and so compassion wells up within you. They didn't have any of that. So what was it that moved them to give? Because they weren't compelled. Paul makes it really clear. They, they were not compelled. He says, um, he testifies that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing with the saints. It's an amazing thing. So what it was basically was this all came out of their experience of Jesus. Because of what they had experienced of God's love and generosity towards them in Jesus, they felt moved to give. Despite their circumstances, even in their circumstances of extreme poverty, they just couldn't help themselves. Now, it's interesting to note that um, this giving is described in miraculous terms. So in verse 1, it says it's a grace, the grace that was given to God by them. It's the language that we use of spiritual gifts. And you might be thinking, okay, great, that lets me off the hook because I haven't got the spiritual gift of giving. No, it doesn't work like that. We've all got the grace of giving. And some people probably do have the particular spiritual gift where they're able to be incredibly generous. That's part of their gifting and their function in the body of Christ. But this is an entire church. So it's not individuals with the gift of grace. This is the entire church who felt moved. So how do we grow in that grace? How do we become, how do we become more like those sorts of people? And the answer is just very simply for us there in verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He came down. He left glory to come to brokenness, so that we in our brokenness could go to glory. And when that captures your heart, when you know what God has done for you, when you appreciate how much Jesus gave up to raise you up, then that enables you to become truly generous. So it's no surprise that when Paul talks about their giving, he says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then to us as the Lord willed. So giving is worship. Giving is a natural response to people who realize what the gospel actually is and who who really tap into the heart of God that has been expressed towards them. You want to be like that, and so you become more like that. And it releases you to similar levels of generosity. But giving is not just worship, it's also spiritual warfare. Like we said earlier, when we give, what we're doing is we're dethroning mammon. Now, money is a terrible master. It's a fantastic servant, but it's a terrible master. If money rules your life, you are not going to be happy. You will never have enough. You will always feel insecure. But if you can dethrone mammon and say, I will not have you rule over me, and if you can come under the goodness of God, then paradoxically you find freedom. So that brings us to some of the objections that naturally rise up within us whenever we hear talk about something like giving. Because the first one is the fear of lack. And if you experience the fear of lack, it normally means that at some level, mammon still rules over you. That master that is a harsh master is still calling the shots in your life. And in one level, it's quite reasonable. I think it's quite reasonable to be concerned that we might not have enough left at the end of the month. 
I would imagine most of us think that as we kind of have a little you know, budget from the Chancellor, we're not quite sure what it's going to mean. As we look towards the winter fuel bills, as we look towards Christmas, for some of us it might be rent, for some people it might be retirement. You know, that question, do I have enough? It's always going to be playing in our minds in the background. But remember that Jesus said that we don't need to fear. Jesus said, look, God has created the birds and he feeds them. And he's created the flowers and he clothes them beautifully. And you are worth so much more than the birds. You are so much more precious to him than the beautiful flowers. God knows your needs and he will meet your needs according to his glorious riches. And so Jesus said, how much more will the Father care for you? You don't need to be worried about those sorts of things. Instead, you should seek the kingdom of God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things that we tend to get hooked up on, all of these things, they'll be given to us. So remember that what's important in all of this is the heart. Not the amount, but the heart. In uh, verses 11 and 12 of today's reading, finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it will be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So when Jesus was in the temple, he, he observed people coming and pouring money into the offerings. And some people were quite rich, and what they would do is they would take their money, they would change it into the smallest possible coin, so there was a lot of it. And then they would come and they would pour it in ostentatiously. So you would hear the kind of like cascade of money like, you know, going into the big offering basket. And then Jesus noted a small offering that was placed in there by a woman who sort of snuck through the crowd and she dropped two small copper coins. And he, he drew his disciples' attention to her and he said, see that? The woman who has given two small copper coins has given more than any of the others because she gave all that she had. You know, what God is concerned about is the heart. So the question then is, well, okay, so what is responsible giving, not irresponsible giving? You know, I don't think God wants us to give all that we have and then beg from other people for the rest of the month. That's not godly. So what's responsible? In other words, how much should I give? We're really getting down to the brass tacks now. You're feeling slightly uncomfortable. How much should I give? There's an old preacher's joke, and I've been around long enough that I've heard all of them. So, but there's an old preacher's joke that says everybody loves the Sermon on the Mount, nobody likes the Sermon on the Amount. Okay, so this is kind of, this is the Sermon on the Amount. And the reason why how much we should give is important because giving is important. There's about 500 words, uh, 500 verses in the Bible that speak about faith. There are 2,300 that speak about money, somewhere between four and five times as many. And the reason the Bible speaks so often about money is because it's a measure of faith and a reflection of where our heart is. That's why Jesus said, where your treasure lies, there will your heart be also. Now, what you invest and what you consider to be of ultimate importance captures your hearts. And so money so often takes that place or struggles for that place in our life. Now, I'm going to show you a little piggy bank image. If we could put it on the screen, please, Peter. 
So I love this picture. I've used it many times over the years. So basically, this is a little, a little piggy bank representing our finances. What are we going to save? What are we going to spend? What are we going to donate? What are we going to invest? But the basic principle is that all of the piggy bank belongs to God. All of this is a blessing that we've been given, and therefore we're accountable for it, and we will give an account for the stewardship. So saving, what is wise planning? Becky was preaching a few months ago about the little animals in Proverbs and the ant who stores up its food in the summer so it's got enough for the winter. You know, you've got to think ahead. Spending, what do I need? How do I cover my needs? And actually also, God wants us to enjoy ourselves. Money is given to us as a blessing. You know, what can I enjoy? How can money enrich my life? But always not forgetting donating. What should I do for others? What if the needs that somebody else has are to be answered by what God has given me so that we express love and we get to partner with God in caring for people? And then investing, thinking about making friends and sending things ahead into eternity. What kind of legacy can I leave? All of those things are really important. Now, we, we talk in the church about planned giving. That's the next slide. So planned giving is basically, it's a phrase that we take from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which talks about how Paul taught the church in Corinth, he's writing his second letter to as well, how he taught them to set aside a sum of money on the beginning of each day of the month, uh, each first day of the month. So on the first day of each month, he would encourage them to set aside some, some financial money so that they would be able to, to give. And we can actually break that down in four ways. So firstly... You bring it up, Peter. Priority giving. It's coming. Just click and it will be with us. It worked this morning. Well, just touch a button, something will happen. Oh, there you go. Not that button. The other button. Hit the cursor bar. Oh, well, never mind, I'll read them. They're all good. So the Bible talks about four things. Okay? So I would say the Bible talks about our planned giving uh, being comprised of these four things. The first thing is priority giving, first fruits. That according to Malachi, we are to give to the Lord the first fruits. It's an Old Testament thing. In other words, put God first. Just as they did in the, um, in the Corinthians here, they gave themselves first to the Lord. In other words, take that off first. The second thing we might talk about is percentage giving. Um, in the Old Testament, that was a tenth, a tithe. Give according to the measure of how you've been blessed. So you'll end up giving more if you've been blessed with more. It's a percentage of your income. Give progressively. That's what we're looking at tonight, really. Um, we were told that there's a grace of giving, and that grace of giving... Um, is something that we can grow in. We're meant to grow in it. We're actually even meant to try and excel in it. I'm on number three now. I'm just about to move to number four. So let's see whether you can catch me up. And again. And the last one is going to be prompted giving. So prompted giving is, okay, you've got your giving sorted out. You've got it planned. But that may not be the end of it. Maybe sometimes God will prompt you, put something in your heart. He'll show you a need and you'll feel, I'm meant to be part of the meeting of this need. That's why the Old Testament talks about tithes and offerings. 
that there would be things that God had commanded, but there'll also be things that they would just felt led to do sometimes in thanksgiving to God. So the big question everybody says is specifically, what percentage should I give? You know, I've heard that the Old Testament, they gave 10%, but that's the Old Testament, right? That's the law. We're not under the law now. We don't have to do that anymore. And it's true, actually. I would say that it's true. We're not under the law. I don't believe that there is a command that we're under. But I would ask you this question. Are we more grateful to God in the New Testament or less? Are we more secure with the revelation that we have in the New Testament or less? Uh, Do we know more about the goodness and grace of God towards us in the New Testament than in the Old Testament? So I would say if you're not giving a, a tithe, that's a good target to aim at. Aim to kind of give that sort of level. And that really brings us down to perhaps the question that most of us have at this particular moment is, but I'm here right now and I know what my bank balance looks like. This question of how can I give and practice giving in my current circumstances. So let's say that your heart is moved, but your financial obligations feel like a massive mountain. What do you do? Do you just accept that it's impossible for you at this time? And the truth is, I want you to note this, it can happen to anybody at any level of income. doesn't matter how much money you're getting in, all of us can be at that point where we think, well, I've got all these obligations. Because the culture trains us to live to the hilt and actually beyond it as well. It's so easy to get credit. It's so easy to stretch yourself, you know. Buy now, pay later. But believe me, you'll pay later. That's the bit that they kind of don't emphasize as much as they should. So whatever amount of money you have coming in, everybody, apart from God, will probably feel really stretched and challenged in that area. So here's some very practical suggestions with regard to your giving. The first thing, start where you are. As we heard in the the passage tonight, The gift is acceptable according to what you have, not what you don't have. God's asking you to be a steward where you are. The second thing is start now. There's always a temptation to think, well, I'll just get myself established and then I'll kind of come back and I'll start doing the giving. And I hear it quite a lot, especially from, from younger people. And I can understand because you probably are kind of new to kind of getting responsibilities and coming into you know, income and salary and things that you didn't have when you were growing up or when you were a student. And so people are always thinking like this, well, when I get a job or when I've got a house or when I've got free of the student loan or whatever it is. And the truth is you will never start giving if you think like that because there'll always be something else. It'll be like, well, now I've got the kids. So when I've got the kids through college, you know, and you'll just keep on going like that. And I'm just really grateful in my own life that I, I sorted out the principle of giving when I was a student and didn't have much. And that meant that as I came into my working life and I started getting a regular income, it was so much easier to establish that principle and to stick with it in the, uh, my life hereafter. So start where you are, start now. And then the third thing I would say to you is start small and aim to increase. In other words, you may not be able to do very much now, but do something. And then gradually, as you see that God blesses you, start to increase and grow in that grace. 
There's um, an amazing story of the great preacher John Wesley. So John Wesley uh, was one of the reformers. Um, he was an Anglican revivalist. He led thousands, thousands to, uh, to the Lord, effectively started the Methodist movement. He was raised in a very poor household. His dad was a clergyman, and they were particularly impoverished. And so he grew up with um, deprivation. He didn't really have much. But when he became a teaching fellow at the University of Oxford, for the first time in his life, he was making some pretty serious money, and he was quite comfortable. So he was on 30 pounds a year, which back in those days was a huge amount. And he tells a story in one of his sermons of how one day he noticed that one of the chambermaids who was um, looking after the rooms, the place where he stayed, had a threadbare coat and was shivering in the cold. And so he put his hand into his pocket to give her some money so she could buy a new coat for herself, and he found that his pocket was empty. He didn't have any money. And he felt so convicted about that that the next month he resolved to live on 28 pounds, to always have a couple of pounds spare so that he could respond to the promptings that the Lord gave him to give an offering to somebody. And he did that. He lived like that for a few years. And then he resolved to live like that for the rest of his life. This is probably in the days before inflation. But he resolved to live on 30 pounds a year, whatever happened to his income. And it's reckoned that by the end of his life, he was still living on about 30 pounds a year, but he was receiving 1,400 pounds a year. So he was giving away about 95% of his income. It got so extreme that in 1776, the tax man came after him because they didn't believe his tax return. And they said, we think you must have lots of gold plate and silver plate stashed in a house somewhere. And Wesley said, if I do, it's in my eternal home. I have honoured the Lord, I have given away, and I have lived on what I need, not what I want. It's an amazing kind of example. I don't think any of us could practice that quite like that these days. But the point is that when we're engaged in this giving thing, we get to. Why don't we go back to the next slide? There we go. It's the whole point of this talk. We get to. We get to give. We get to prove that God is faithful to his promises. It's one of the most amazing things. I think it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Now, normally, if you test God, that's, you're not meant to. Don't put me to the test, says God. But this one place, he says, test me. It's in Malachi chapter 3. And he says, test me in this. Give, bring the first fruits into the harvest, into the storehouse of the Lord. Honor God with the first of your flocks. And test me in this and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour upon you such blessing that you will not be able to contain it. So often as we learn the grace of giving, we discover that God meets us in it. We discover that it's impossible for us to outgive God. And we've got amazing facilities here and 80% of what it took to build these incredible facilities came out of the pockets of the congregation, over four million pounds. And it was hundreds of people coming together and saying, I feel that I want to get behind this vision. I want to be part of what God's doing here. And so they gave. And the truth is, a lot of us at that time probably thought, I'm making my lifetime gift here. You know, I'm making a gift and now I'm going to be like poor for the rest of my life. 
And I'm sure some of us, as we've given, have kind of felt that gift. But actually, as time's gone on, you kind of go, kind of, God's blessed us in return. We've kind of recovered. I remember Becky and I thinking a couple of years after we've made what we thought was like, oh, my life kind of gift. Like, it's not quite, we don't miss it, but it's like, God's blessed us. We could go again. Now, God is faithful. You'll never know unless you step out and trust him in it. We get to join in with God. It's all about a shift of mindset that we move from thinking of giving as obligation to opportunity. We get to partner with God. We get to invest in the lives of others. We get to build into the kingdom and make friends in eternal dwellings. We get to give so that other people can change their lives and the direction of their life, the trajectory of their family, the, what they're going to experience. We, we get to give so that they might even join us in eternity. We get to. We don't have to. We get to. And actually, one of the things about we get to is that it shows that we really understand what God has done for us. It's a phrase that can only come out of a heart of gratitude. And it's a phrase that in it has the seeds of joy and meaning and purpose that all of us want. I think everybody here wants to have a life that counts for something. We get to. And giving financially with what we've been blessed with is something that has to be part of that as well. Now, I'd love you guys to stand. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help us grow in this grace. But just really practically, on the seat backs, uh, in the seat backs in front of you, you've got a little card that says giving. Now, this is not the reason we're doing the talk. It's not like the church is going to you know, go bankrupt anytime soon. We're doing okay. The fuel bills are getting higher. That's true. We want to give the staff some salaries. If you talk to them, they'll, they'll amen that one. Um, so we always need money. We can do more ministry if we have more money. That's the truth of it. But actually, we're in an okay place because God's people here are really generous. But we know a lot of people have joined us in the last five years. And I know I haven't spoken into this for five years. And that's really bad because actually this is not something that doesn't matter. This actually is something that makes an incredible difference in your own spiritual life. This kind of discipleship talk. You know, if you really have a heart to, to be free to follow Jesus and to serve him, this is a really important area of life. And so, you know, we've got, we can do credit card giving and stuff like that. But what we really encourage people to do is planned giving which is why I'd love you to take the sheet away and think about it. Tonight, I think we just want to pray. And we want to pray that God would give us grace, that we can grow in that grace. Now, you, you could be somebody who's already got an incredible gift of giving. Maybe nobody knows, but, but God knows that you've got that heart and you're just able to be generous. And I, I know sometimes those sorts of people are saying, I just want to, I want to get to a place where I can do more. Sometimes, you know, God will put a practical thing in your mind. Um, I was, Becky and I have just made the decision recently, we're going to cancel a subscription, help us increase our giving. It's like, we weren't using it, we haven't got time to read the paper, who needs that? You know, usually you've got a website anyway. It's about priorities and sorting ourselves out, and bringing some discipline and some structure to our lives. Some of you, you might experience fear in that area that you just want to be broken from. And that's fine. We, we all struggle with that. 
So I'd like to invite you tonight, if you want to grow in the grace of giving, whether that means breaking fear or just going deeper or maybe asking God for some specific issue or need that you're facing, you need wisdom for, we'd love you to come and just have somebody bless what God's already doing in your heart tonight through the Holy Spirit. So as we worship, just invite you to come out. Holy Spirit, lead us again to Jesus. It's possibly my favorite verse in the whole of the Bible. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans says that he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us, how will he not, along with him, give us all things? Lord, you are so, so generous that you're a God who gives and never withholds. You've said to us, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so as we receive so much, Lord, we want to be shaped. We want to be purified, refined. We want to be more like you in this area also. Lord, would you help us to excel in the grace that there is in giving and make us good reflections of your glory. So as we continue into worship, if there's anything tonight that that touches you, that might be that you actually have lack, God wants to meet that as well. We just love to bless what God is doing. So if ministry team, let's start coming out. Just encourage you to come in this time for prayer.